Welcome to the Jam Broberg Show, where we expose the truth about child sexual abuse, rape, assault, and trauma. Everything you hear on this show is for informational and educational purposes only. We do not dispense therapy or give legal advice. This show is not for children. I'm Jam Broberg. Let's get started. Welcome to the show. As we have been highlighting the six stages of grooming and manipulation, I wanted to just recap very quickly from our last three discussions that the first thing that someone does when they are going to groom or manipulate you is they have to pick their target. And they usually do that for specific reasons. We won't go into it. I've already done that. But just know they are very specific about the targets that they pick. The next thing, the next stage is that they build trust. All right. So they're going to build some trust with uh, the child, probably, and with those around the child. And as we know, oftentimes we are manipulated and groomed by people that are closest to us in our families, our friends, um, you know, the school, the school community and all the extracurricular activities. But they will build trust because they look like they're just like everybody else. They're just, you know, a concerned, wonderful person. And as that trust grows, the next thing that happens, the next stage, is that the, the need that the people inside of that web, um, they identify that need and they fill that need. So there are many ways that groomers and manipulators do that. And that's through getting to know and building the trust. And then they see the need. And usually they've targeted the, the person because they see a vulnerability. So now as we move into the fourth stage of grooming and manipulation, I think it's really, really important to be very clear that as isolating the person, the child, isolation begins to happen, they will often start with asking the child or the tween or the teen to keep a small secret, something that maybe wouldn't be a big deal. Maybe they're planning to give, you know, uh, a present to somebody in the family. Oh, don't tell your mom. But I'm, I'm planning to make a special, you know, uh, for us, it was like, I'm going to take you all out for ice cream for your mom's birthday this weekend. Okay, that's a small secret. Don't tell her. It's a surprise. And then as it, as it goes, they escalate those secrets. Those secrets become more, well, as they find out that the, that the young person will keep a secret, then they start to push the boundaries for the, the secrets that they tell. So uh, oftentimes, you know, a child um, or a teenager is assaulted, you know, sexually, they can be assaulted in their own home, you know, without the parents even noticing because of how good the the victim becomes at keeping secrets. This is just the manipulative process that they use to finally almost just do it under the parents' noses. Or it is a parent, and they've already groomed and manipulated the other parent to not notice. They know their routine. They know the patterns. They know when you know they can get away with it in the middle of the night. Um, 
And of course, as those secrets become more and more um, vicious, you know, the thing that comes to mind is that when they are isolating, you know, the, the person, the young child or the teenager, and the acts are being committed even inside of their own home, the way that they demand their secrets be kept get harsher and harsher. Like I had one um, person talk about the pinching that would happen, you know, to her inner thigh or in the back of her leg. And they were places where nobody could see those bruises. But you just remember, you know, while they're pinching, you know, that this is, this is our special secret. This is our special relationship. And no one else ever can know about it. And, you know, mixing the special relationship with the abuse with a physical reminder. Um, she told me she used to really look at all the different bruises and almost admire the different stages they were in because it became such a commonplace thing. So they can combine a lot of things in this isolation process that become more and more dangerous, more and more physical, as well as more of the mental, the mental terrorism starts really inside of isolation. So if a child you know, is given the opportunity to ride to school or to a special event with their friends in a car that is being driven by the perpetrator, that seems, you know, like not such a big deal. You know, oh, great. You know, somebody's offering to pick up my child, give them a ride um, so that they can go to this special event or just even to school, which is how B did it with us. Oh, let me help you. Let me help you. I'll pick up the girls. You're on my way. They lived, you know, a block and a half up the street and down the street was the school. And uh, I'll pick them up and, and then you won't have to drive the girls to school. And so that was, part of the, that was part of the daily routine. It became a very much a daily routine. But what I look back on and, and notice now is that oftentimes he would have me wait in the car for just a minute. And all the kids are pouring out of the back seat. And I often got to ride in the front seat more than everybody else. So he did play favorites. But it wasn't every time. And I was always usually somebody that if I noticed, I'd say, oh, no, 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 it's Karen's turn to sit in the front or it's Jerry's turn to sit in the front or something like that. Because I was kind of a, uh, I don't know, that was part of my personality to be very fair. Um, but, you know, I also was a kid. I didn't notice all those times. But I remember he would have me wait just so that he could tell me something that everybody else didn't need to hear or he didn't want to tell the rest of them. You know, and it could be something as simple as, oh, um, I told you about that, that um, friend of mine who's in the movie industry. And I just wanted to tell you that I, that I got to have a conversation with him on the phone. And um, he's really excited to meet you someday and be able to see you. Maybe he might even come here to Pocatello and see you in one of the plays or something. He would just say little things like that, but don't tell anybody because we don't know if it's going to happen. See, that was the secret part. He'd say something like that, but you know, don't mention that to, to anybody, your mom, dad, anybody, because I, I don't know if it'll actually happen and I don't want you or anybody else to be disappointed. But 
I know how special you are. I know how talented you are. He always would take opportunities like that to place in me something that was um, a happy secret, not a scary secret. Um, that's how they work. And then as those escalate, because you're out of your surroundings, and so then the next isolating moment can be going horseback riding for the first time, where Jerry, his son, wasn't coming with us. And he said, well, I told your dad that Jerry had this thing going on and that he could pick up Jerry and bring him out as well, you know, if he wants to. Um, but, you know, don't mention this to my kids because they might feel bad that I didn't bring them horseback riding. So now all of a sudden he's doing something very special for me in a car by myself going to horseback riding to teach me some lessons and, and how to do it because I was so interested in that. And he's also layering in there the secret. You know, here's a secret that's just ours. Don't, don't, don't say anything to the other kids. They might feel bad. Well, of course, that would be a kind of secret that I would keep <laughs> because I don't want anybody else to feel bad. Hey, everybody. I just, I just had to take a minute because I want to talk a little bit about our online community, Thrivivors. Um, I always had the feeling it would be really cool and that it would be helpful but I had no idea how amazing it is to be in a safe space with fellow survivors where you feel like you can talk about anything without any judgment, where you can have you know your worst day and need to express things about a big disappointment, or you have a breakthrough day and something that just finally made sense to you on your healing journey and you're able to go forward. I'm more than thrilled with what the members at Thriveivors are already talking about and what they're saying and they're sharing their stories and it truly is changing their lives and changing my life. I can't believe how much I've been missing by actually not having a group of fellow survivors in my path. There's so much to be learned on the journey from each other and from that support where you're completely safe. I hope that You'll come over and join us and just know that we have survivor stories that we share every week. We also have amazing experts like social workers, therapists, uh, memory experts, people who have created programs for healing because they were survivors too. And now they've gone down that path and that journey. And now they're sharing what they know with all of us. And it just becomes this wonderful, amazing experience. And I really want to encourage you to come and join us. And we'll never charge more than a dollar a day for your own health and healing. I think that's pretty reasonable. That'll never change. And if you can't afford a dollar a day, tell us what you can't afford. We want all survivors to have a safe place to begin their healing journey and to be supported on that journey. So please just come. I can't wait to hear from you. I want to hear your story. So please Go to our link in the show notes and find us at Thriveivers. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I cannot adequately explain to you guys how vitally important therapy has been for me throughout my life. At times, it has been what keeps the 10% of my life, which is filled with challenges and trauma, from festering, becoming 20% or 30% or 50% and so on. 
Therapy has literally saved my life. It commits you to your own mental health and it has a physical impact on you as well. So when your mental health is good, your bodily health improves. I'm telling you that at BetterHelp, you have an opportunity to do the easiest pathway to a therapist. You can chat with them. You can have a video session. You can text your therapist. It's immediate. You don't have to drive anywhere. And they will match you with a licensed professional. And if that doesn't work out, it doesn't feel like a fit to you, you can change it anytime for no additional charge. It's more affordable than traditional therapy. And it's easier than traditional therapy. When you feel better mentally because you've been seeing a therapist like I have throughout my life, you'll know why you have committed that time, that money, that space. So hopefully you'll go to BetterHelp, use our link, betterhelp.com forward slash my name, J-A-N, and that will help out our show. It will help you. Plus, if you sign up from our link, you get 10% off your first month. I'm telling you, it's so much more affordable than traditional therapy. And it's also so much more immediate because you can do it from the palm of your hand. I know that for a fact. I've used them myself. So they get to know your personality in that trust phase. They get to know the, the needs that you have when they're starting to fill the needs. And now when they isolate, they use all of those things that they now know about you or about your family or your parents or your siblings, even your school teachers, even your piano teacher. You know, they know certain things about people that they can use to create a secret or something special. And I think that's really important to remember that um, when somebody is taking a child to, you know, a piano lesson or to a special outing, um, you know, to alleviate, you know, the parent's stress and how much they have to do. And, and, you know, they're being helpful. So they say, you know, I think it's really important for that little, that little buzzy thing to go off in your gut. And I think that's true of somebody in your family doing that. Um, an aunt, an uncle, a, an older cousin, um, even an older sibling, if they're offering to do things that are kind of the sorts of things that it would be hard for you to offer to someone, like, I really don't want to pick up other people's kids and take them places, you know? If you know, if in your normal, natural mind, you go, wow, that's awfully nice. Who does that? Hmm, that's a good question to ask yourself. Who does that? Now, sometimes I know close families and brothers and sisters, and they all have kids, and they do all kinds of things together. And, you know, that, that I think, I don't want everybody to never trust another, you know, family member or a close friend or person. But I think you have to really look at it, like how frequently is that happening and how far out of their way are they going? Because people can be nice and kind and want to help and serve, but they don't go that far out of their way. It's really unusual for people to do that because, you know, we're human beings. We all have our own lives that are busy and full of stress. So um, the next level also is maybe if they are not a member of the family, but they're, you know, a teacher or a church leader, um, a coach or a music, um, you know, they, your kids go to choir or a, like we did crafts, you know, arts and crafts with a lady, you know, and I think that if they are asking that child or singling out a child 
uh, or a teenager, you know, to to stay after school or to stay late or I want to, you know, they're really they're really talented at this particular thing, this sport, this dance, you know, at, at ballet or at drama. You know, they they really have a gift, you know, and I really would like them to stay um, so I can work with them even more one on one. But that also should break up some kind of um, bells and whistles, you know, and, and they're and they're not that they're not that blatant. I thought I I think I used to call them red flags. And now I don't like that term because it seems so obvious. So I usually call it like that little that little funny, you know, little sound wave that goes through your chest or your gut or whatever. And you have it for a few seconds, like something, I don't know. And then you kind of dismiss it. That's your secondary thought. Like, oh, they're just trying to, you know, help my my child or the student, you know, my child, the student, my child, the dancer, my child, the dramatist, you know, my child, the athlete. They're just trying to help. Well, there may be more to it, especially if something just kind of passed through your gut or heart and you go, man, they have a lot of students or they have kids of their own or why would they, you know, go out of their way to that degree? It just isn't really, it really isn't normal. And most of these predators are masters at manipulation. So they will sense immediately if there's some pushback, like, oh, that's, that's too much. You don't need to do that. You know, no, no, no. They'll, they'll be like, oh, okay, that's just fine. You know, they'll, they'll back off because they immediately are in the, in the process of isolating you as the parent or as another concerned citizen that's around this child to make sure that you don't have those alarm bells going off inside. So I think that skill, that skill that they have to, to really read, you know, if, if they feel like at all that you're going to not allow that to happen, they will totally agree with you. And then they'll wait for the next opportunity and go, oh, my word, did you see her in that play? She's just so talented. She absolutely has to have, you know, a couple, a couple of, you know, private sessions here, you know, to really go through these lines or really, they'll find a way back to it in a different, or maybe with a different person in their life. Like he pitted my mom and my dad against each other. Um, you know, oh, I can't get what I want from Bob. I'll ask Marianne. Oh, I can't get what I want from Marianne or Bob. I'll just work on Jan, let her throw the fit. Let her be like, why won't you let me go? I love, I love learning how to ride a horse and you can't do that. You, you're allergic to horses. He'll, he'll get it to the point where, where the intended victim is going to do what they need to do to make it happen. So I just think that, you know, offering special friendship, special help to a child or a teen and isolating them in any way, shape, or form is a very effective thing that starts to happen. And a pedophile may groom and eventually sexually assault that child. So, you know, school, taking us to school, going horseback riding, um, all of those things, taking me to a music lesson, those were all tactics to isolate me and to build that and to continue building that relationship of trust and to fill a need. So that's stage four. Stage four of the grooming and manipulation process. Recognizing the signs of grooming is such an important piece in preventing and hopefully bringing awareness to childhood sexual abuse. I just can't overstate it enough. Parents, neighbors, church leaders, teachers, anyone out there who is in the lives of children, you can make a difference 
in one or even many children's lives, if you will notice and trust your gut. If something feels off, it probably is. So if you are concerned at all, please speak up. If something does not seem right, please speak up. Together we can end childhood sexual abuse if we know what to look for. Everyone here at the Jan Broberg Show and at our foundation, we believe people. We hear and support all survivors. So if you would like to share your story of grooming or manipulation, please contact my team at jan at janbroberg.org. And your story will remain anonymous and will be shared as part of our 365 days of grooming and manipulation. Thank you so much for listening. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you for sharing this journey with me today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show. This really helps us spread the word. And if you know someone who would benefit from listening to our show, please do me a favor and share one of our episodes with them. I want every survivor to know that they are not alone and that there is help available. Links to my website, our foundation, the new book, our online community, Thrivivors, and newsletter can be found in the show notes. All of my contact info is there as well. This year, my number one focus is on sharing our stories. This is so important because it's the launching pad to our healing journey, and it inspires the survivor who is still suffering in silence. I don't want anyone to suffer alone anymore. So please reach out. I want to hear from you. Until next time, my friends, this is Mama Jan signing off, over and out on two.